Thanks so much for listening into the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth. And we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Well, it's very good to be with you all this evening. My name is Alex. I'm one of the leaders around here. And uh, in the summertime, you get to hear from a bunch of different leaders. So if you're wondering who I am, I'm just one of the people on staff around here. You're like, I haven't seen this guy in months. I'm back. Uh, turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. That's where we're going to be, Genesis 22, this evening. Uh, what we're doing over the summer, and, and, and to be honest, what we'll probably do uh, beyond the summer um, in, in different moments of the year uh, is kind of this series that we're going to end up calling just In the Life of the Church. And it, it, it essentially is whatever, whoever's speaking, whether it's me or, or Jim or Bria or Andoni, whoever's speaking uh, gets to just bring what they sense God is speaking for um, this particular week. And uh, so it's a really fun time. We get to spend, as teachers, we get to spend our weeks just asking God, what are you teaching us? And what are you doing in my life? And what do you want to share? Um, so I was just instantly, about a week ago, thinking about this message, I was directed to uh, Genesis chapter 22, and I specifically want to speak out of this uh, story, and I really think there's going to be some kingdom fruit that comes from it. It's, it's a really um, impactful story. Most of you will probably be familiar with it, but I want to give a, a little bit of a closer look at it. Um, let, me give you, let me give you kind of the background up to this point in uh, the Bible. What's, what's kind of, what's the overarching story, and what's the background leading up to this point? So... Um, Basically, in the story of the Bible, in the story of humanity, um, we are in search, the story is in search of a human who can be what humans were meant to be. So you think back to uh, the Garden of Eden, you think back to Adam and Eve, and they were given a test. And the test was this, will you be a true human and listen to God, or will you allow your true humanity to be corrupted by listening to this chaos, serpent, this beast, what will you choose? Will you be the, a true human or will you not be? And, and, and if you know the story, you know that they fail the test. They allow, and they were told, rule over beasts, but instead of ruling over beasts, they get ruled over by a beast. Now, you fast forward a little bit in the story and you get to their children, Cain and Abel, and, and they're presented with another kind of beast, or at least sounds like a beast. It's this thing called sin. And what God says to Cain is he says, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to rule over it, but you have, it's possible for you to rule over it. So, so the same kind of thing, there's, a, there's another beast that wants to rule over humans, and the, the test is this for Cain. Will you be a true human and listen to God, thus ruling over sin, or will you be ruled over and allow your humanity to be corrupted? And we all know how the story goes. Fast forward a little bit further, just a few more chapters, and you get to Noah. And Noah's like a new Adam. He's around all these animals, just like Adam was around all these animals. He's on this uh, island of Eden, think like an ark, right? And he, even when he lands, when the ark comes ashore, uh, he, what does he do? He plants a vineyard. He starts a garden. So it's like the, the, the creation project is just getting rebooted with Noah. Okay, Adam and Eve, they failed their test. Cain failed his test. What about 
you, Noah. And what does Noah do? He plants a vineyard and he takes from the vineyard and he eats the fruit that is forbidden, just in the same way that Adam and Eve ate the the fruit that was forbidden. They They sinned by eating. He does the same thing. He gets drunk and some really sketchy stuff happens. We don't have time to get into it. It's weird. So by the time you get to Abraham in the story, which is where we're about to pick the story up, uh, we see this guy and we have a little bit of hope for Abraham because we've seen him pass two tests. So he passes the test, uh, like the test of believing God for children. He's an old guy. His wife is an old woman. And God comes to him and says, I'm gonna give you children. Now this is a test, make no mistake. And the test is, do you believe God? Will you listen to God or will you listen to your experience? In the same way that Adam and Eve didn't listen to God, they listened to, oh, that fruit does look pretty good. Will you do the same thing? And he passes the test. He says, okay, I believe you. Not only does he believe God for this, but he leaves his family. So you gotta think about the socioeconomics of, the, the, of this day. He leaves the farm. <laughs> he leaves the property. And he goes uh, because God tells him to go. So he trusts God. He passes the test of trusting God. He seems to be this human who isn't controlled by the beast of descent from God, but he has loyalty to God even in pagan lands, even in lands that are controlled by Baal and by other foreign Mesopotamian gods. He's faithful to Yahweh. Now, what happens next, I would argue, is Abraham's truest test. And it's actually a sickening test. It's just, it turns your stomach. So, so look down at your Bibles, uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse one. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, I love the exclamation point, He's trying to get his attention. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Uh, If you've never read this story before, this is your first time uh, reading this. What is going on? Like I knew Christians were messed up. Um, This story in, uh, in Hebrew is called the bending. The bending and uh, it is just that. Um, you know, in, in when I was in my 20s, my biggest fear was personally dying. I was in my 20s, after all. It was a pretty good time. My, my, my body was young. My mind was sharp. Things, good things were happening to me. I just recently got married. And I thought, the worst thing that could possibly happen is me dying, because this is a pretty good life that I got here, right? So I, I'm, I, I don't think I'm terrified of flying. I just don't like flying. And anytime I'd have to fly, I would just be on there. I mean, my intercession increased on planes for me. And I would just be like, okay, God, uh, just get me there because I have a really good life and I don't want to lose this life and I really, really like where I'm at right now. Well, all of that changed, or at least a majority of that changed when I had my first child. Because now my fear is not if I die, I got a life insurance policy, my family would be fine. Uh, My biggest fear is losing my daughter. It's every parent's biggest fear. The most, I mean, I... I didn't understand this before having, it, before having a child, but you see those kind of old-timey, I don't know, I, I'm like a masterpiece classic guy, so you see those old kind of like, you know, uh, public 
you know, productions of period pieces, and you see people lose children in them, and the wife or the mother goes insane because of it. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I think I would go insane too to, to go through losing a child. And so you read this story, and you start with, offer your son as a burnt offering. What? How about no? <laughs> no. I remember, Mom, you, you told me this. When my mom, my mom became a Christian at 18, and she had never heard this story before. And so at 18, she's coming into this, and she starts reading. And you told me, you're like, I almost, I can't finish this. I don't even want, what? What is happening? Well, watch what happens. Verse three. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Can you imagine that? There, you know, you've been putting it off this whole journey. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. What an interesting thing to say. This is the first mention of worship in the entire Bible, by the way, so, so pay attention to that first mention. Verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. This, this word in Hebrew for provide is, is really an amazing word. It's yire. If you're a Hebrew student, I'm sorry. It's yire. <laughs> I think, you can correct me afterwards. Uh, but what this word means in the range of meaning of this word is uh, that this idea of appearance, of to appear or to show up. So, so think about how this could be read. You could read it, God himself will appear the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. What an amazing word. Verse 13, uh, oh sorry, um, where were we? Verse eight and back to nine. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, it's twice this time. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now notice it's not a lamb, right? He said, the Lord will provide the lamb. It's a ram. God's over-providing. Verse uh, 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, or the Lord will appear. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, notice this, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Here's what I want to look at this evening is I want to look at this test because that's exactly what this is. This is a test. And this is really the archetype of every test throughout the entire Bible. Not only is it Adam and Eve, like I mentioned before, and the test is, does God provide the identity that you need here on earth or do you have to reach out for yourself and grab it? all the way up to Jesus in the garden, right, of Gethsemane. It's a test. Is there really resurrection? His faith is put to the test. Now, in each circumstance, uh, we see that the test is always this. Next slide. Do you love God for God, or do you love him for what he does for you? That's the test. Do you love God because he's given you a son, and the son is really the prize? Or do you love God for God? Whether it's Jesus going to the cross or Abraham going to the mountain, what is so shocking about these tests is that they are such high stakes. Life or death. And, and these stories have a way of slicing through the, our hearts as we read them and putting all of the stuff that's in our hearts on the line. Because here's where it gets practical. And, and maybe you're already thinking about yourself personally and the test that is in front of you. Every disciple in relationship with God will be faced with a test or multiple tests throughout their entire life. Anywhere you have treasure in your heart, anywhere you have treasure in your life, earthly things that you delight in, even people, there will be potential for a test. So it's a simple message tonight. I want us, Saints Hill, I want us to pass the test. I want us to be the kind of people that we pass the tests. So here's three points tonight. If you're taking notes, write these down. Why we don't pass tests, why we don't pass the test, the power to pass the test, and how we will pass the test. Why we don't tend to pass tests with God, the, the power to pass tests, and how we will do it. So first, why we don't pass the tests. Ultimately, humans, disciples, don't pass the test because we simply love our lives too much. We do. <laughs> Think about how easy it would be for Abraham to have not passed this test. He could have just been like, he could have just held on to Isaac and been like, no, 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 no. You said, God, you said that you would give me a son. You said you'd give me offspring. I'm not letting go of this. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. This is your promise. I'm not giving it back to you. You gave it to me. I'm not giving it back. And to be honest, that's probably where I would be with Georgie. That's where I would be right now if I was asked the same thing. But John, at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, he talks about disciples who overcome the serpent. And they have this quality about them. Here's what he says about these kind of disciples who can overcome the serpent. He says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They were not in love with their lives. <laughs> Are you in love with yours? 
because I'm kind of in love with mine. <laughs> this is like preaching to me. What can the enemy do to people who are unafraid to die? The cosmic battle's won. The future's been decided. What can he do to people who are unafraid to die? But I think that for most disciples, when they love their lives too much, here is what happens. Here's what, here's what it, it kind of looks like for, for us. It looks like this. We don't want to recognize how out of control we are, and so we grip what we can to get a false sense of control in life. It's like, I'm out of control in life, and I don't want to recognize it, and so I need to just hang on to the things that I have so that I get a false sense of, no, 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 I really, I'm kind of in control. Now, what happens because you're a disciple is a war inside, because we actually do love God too. So there's a tug of war between the life we've cobbled together for ourselves and held on to and our love for him. It's like, no, I, you can have it all, Lord. No, really, you, can, you really can have it all. In an attempt to love both God and money or both our lives and the kingdom, we bargain with him. We begin to bargain with him. And it is this bargaining that causes us to fail the test and show that we really love God like we love a rich uncle. <laughs> when he's around, dude, you're awesome. <laughs> when he's not, when's that guy gonna die and give me all of that money? <laughs> is it just me? Okay, fine. I'm the only honest one. I'm the only, I don't have a rich uncle. I'm the only honest one in here though. Okay, that's fine. So, the, the other day, and this just happened to me, I, like, I did a bargaining thing with God. The other day, um, you know, I, I love uh, real estate and homes and, and we've remodeled part of our house and it's, I just really like houses. And so I'm always looking on like Redfin or Zillow and checking what's going on in the market and it's insane right now. Um, but a house popped up and it's not often that a house pops up and I'm like, I have to have that house. And that it's in my price range. Uh, so, but this house pops up and I think, oh, I need that house. And I didn't even, it wasn't even like, there wasn't even like a, um, a, a period of time before like, oh, that's a nice house too. Yeah, I could see myself in it. I just instantly saw my, oh, all the parties that I would have there and what I would do with the back patio. I was remodeling it already. I thought, we'll knock down that wall. I had like the Joanna Gaines spirit. We're taking this wall out. And, uh, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this would be great. I texted to my wife. She's at work. She's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's go check it out. And we're totally checking this house out and thinking, this is, this is great. And I just knew, you know, we probably shouldn't do this. It was kind of like a little bit of a pipe dream anyways. But I, I, I began to think about, <laughs> it's so funny, I'm going to be the honest one in the room tonight, apparently. I began to think of how good of a person I would be if only I had that house. I thought, you know what? I, it has many bedrooms. I probably would become like a foster parent. And, um, and, you know, it's got a bigger living room. We could host so much more stuff for the church at our house. See, God, we need this house because... <laughs> I would be so much more virtuous if we had it. Don't you want that for me? <laughs> and isn't that common? Like, rather than being grateful and content, we attempt to pull tomorrow's blessing into today and justify it with a moral reason. We think we'll be better people if we just get that thing. Now, let's not be so, so nearsighted to forget that that's exactly what Eve thought. We'll be better people if we just get this thing. <laughs> it 
means that we make bargains with God to receive blessings or to not give him back what he's given us so that, hey, no, you gave this to me so that I could be a better disciple, right? The lie is that virtue comes from earthly blessing, but it's actually the other way around. Virtue comes from surrender and blessing follows. How do I know? Look down at your Bibles, verse 16. He, he gives God back his son. He says, okay, you, you gave me this promise. You gave me this earthly treasure. I'll give it back to you. And then verse 16, here's what happens. Um, oh, sorry, let's go to verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. Obeyed me. Look, this is the promise that Abraham has heard in Genesis chapter 12. It's the promise he's heard in Genesis chapter 15. And it's being reiterated when he releases to God what God owns. You own Isaac, not me. You own Georgie, that's my daughter, not me. You own my money, not me. This, I can't love this life so much that I'm afraid to lose it. You gotta set me free from that, so I gotta give it back to you. I have to give it back to you. And what happens is that when we do that, it's not, it's not a, um, a transaction sort of thing, but what it is, it's a renewal of heart-to-heart relationship. Because look, you, you, could, you could say, oh, okay, look, in this story, he actually didn't have to kill his son. And so, yeah, God, I'll just, um, yeah, I'll give you this thing that I treasure, but I really know you're gonna give it back to me, right? You can't do that because that's not real surrender. That's not real. That's fake. And so when you surrender, you have to say, no, 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 I really do give this to you. I really do take what, I, what you've given me and I don't grip onto it. I give it right back to you, God. I know um, some of you guys have heard this story, but um, when I was, um, I was uh, 19 years old, I was uh, living in Bolivia for like a study abroad semester. And uh, during this time, God was just like complete, it was a surrender season. I mean, he was just getting me free from so many things that I'd held on to. And as a young guy, uh, especially in the church, um, I really wanted to get married. That was like the desire of my heart was to, be, was to be married. And I know for many young people, that is probably the same for you, especially if you're a disciple, because, you know, marriage holds all kinds of great things, including sex, and you're not having it if you're not married. And you're like, yeah, I'd kind of like to have that as a young single person. And so I was like, I just have to get married. I remember thinking like, God, it, like, please don't come back until at least the day after my wedding. Uh, yeah. So um, anyways, I had just built this thing up in my mind like, I have to get married. I have to get married. And, um, and I remember uh, the moment I was just hearing God. I mean, I was so... I was hearing him so clearly in my life at this time period. He said, you're not gonna get married. And I was like, what? He said, I don't want you to get married. And I remember just thinking, no, 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 no. I have read the text, marriage is a gift. Don't you want this in my life? And in fact, I don't think I have the gift of being single and so you have to give this to me. And I remember I began, I, I prayed it out before God, all of the great men that I knew who had gotten married. I said, look, they got married. They still served you. I'll do the same. Just let me get married. 
And I battled for like a week. I mean, every single, I couldn't open the Bible without being convicted. You're not gonna get married. Don't get married. Don't do it. Give it up to me. Give up your idol of marriage. And I was like, oh, and I remember just, I, I couldn't handle it because I was like, but I need your presence and you're withholding it because of this whole marriage thing. Just let me get married. And I remember the night, I remember I went, my, the family I was staying with, we went out to dinner. I'm at this dinner. I am quiet the whole, I didn't speak very good Spanish. So that's also part of why I was quiet, but I'm, I'm quiet the whole dinner. And I'm like, in my head, I'm going, I'm gonna do it. I am going to give this to you. When I get home, I'm gonna mean it. I tried the fake one, like, oh, but, you know, I read the story, Abraham and Isaac. I thought, oh, no, really, I'll give it to you, but I know you'll, like, give it back to me. No, I had to mean it. And I, I remember I came home, and I went into my room, and I, it's one, probably one of the single most impactful moments of my life. I told the Lord, I said, okay, if there's a fork in, in the road in my life, and in one direction, I get your presence, and I don't get married, and in the other direction, I disobey you, and I do get married, I can't afford to live that way, so I won't, I won't get married. The sense of freedom, the sense of peace that came in that moment was so unbelievably profound, I think I just laid on the floor for hours, and he just, his peace just washed over me, and he said, oh, now you can get married because you don't worship this thing anymore. I couldn't allow you to corrupt a gift of mine by your holding on to it. And it was, it was so, so powerful. It was that I had been living, we do this, I had lived with this idea that it's the blessing that makes me virtuous. No, it's the surrender and obedience that is virtue that can be blessed that can handle what he actually wants to give. And I don't know what your story would be. In my mind at that point, I had really said, okay, I won't get married. And I really meant it. I, I took, I, you know, as much as a 19-year-old could do, I thought of the rest of my life. I said, okay, I imagined it then. Because I'd always imagined it with a wife. I imagined it unmarried. And I said, yes to that. And you may, he may come to you and, and ask you the same thing. You're like, no, 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 not me. Don't even say it. Uh, he may ask you the same thing, and the question, your test will be, do you love God for God or what he does for you? It's the test. We, are, we go through these tests, I, I'm convinced, because God wants us to be able to handle being blessed so, so that the nations get blessed. But he doesn't give his blessing to people who will be crushed by it, who will be obsessed by it. He's too kind to his disciples to do that. You're like, why, do, why are people who don't follow him or far from God, why do they have that thing that I want? Why do they get that? Well, listen, you're in a pruning relationship. They're not. <laughs> so he actually wants you to bear more fruit and he doesn't, and you know what his wrath on them is? He's leaving them alone. They're getting what they want because they're going after what they want. You don't have that luxury. You're a soldier. <laughs> you're not a civilian. And so you're in, this, you're in this relationship with him where as he brings things to the surface in your life, it's so you get free from them. And so you say yes to his pruning. Okay, yeah, cut me there. Okay, yeah, cut that out of me right now. He's doing something in my life right now that is profound, like a deep pruning, and it is so painful. But I just go, oh, thanks for the attention because there's a lot of other people that don't have this kind of attention in their lives. Now, maybe you're like me, and... It sounds pretty difficult to give God the things that are most precious to you. 
As you think about this, you're going, huh, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Well, see, in this story, here's what I wanna tell you. There is the secret power, the secret ability to passing the test that's in front of you. So secondly, the power to pass the test. I want you to notice the location. Like, put your little Bible nerd brain Can I click it into gear? I want you to notice the location of where all this takes place. So look down at your Bibles. uh, Verse 13, it says this. What am I doing? I I like put my verses in here into my notes, and I totally, are they the right ones? Oh, I guess they are the right ones. Okay, whatever. Uh, Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So think about this location. It gets a name. It's like, oh, that's the mountain the Lord will provide. Uh, We still say, on this mountain, the Lord will provide. And the, the thing that is interesting is that Uh, The Lord just did provide, like in the past, like a couple minutes ago. So why does he call it the Lord will provide? Shouldn't it be called the Lord did provide? And here it's like a plaque on like a memorial. And here's what God did in this place. The Lord will provide? Why the future orientation? Well, it, it matters where this place is. And we actually get a clue to where this place is in verse uh, two. So look up at verse two. It says, uh, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Where's that? Go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, what's interesting to me is that If this was just about Abraham sacrificing his son, he's like, I gotta teach Abraham a surrender lesson. Sacrifice your son. Well, he could have done that anywhere. Why go to this place, Moriah? Why go, he's like, there's gonna be a mountain there. I'm gonna show you the mountain. Why the location? Uh, The location is significant. It's very significant. See, Mount Moriah is actually where Solomon ends up building his temple. So where the temple is built is on this same location. So think about the Lord will provide all of the animal sacrifices through the history of Israel that are taking place on that very location the Lord will provide. The Lord will bless his nation. The Lord will cause that nation to then be a blessing. Now, not only that, but do you know what else happened on this mount? Mount Moriah is the same place where Jesus was killed. So this place will be named. It will be provided. It will be provided. You see, Abraham's test came with God's promise for all humanity. It wasn't just about the moment. It was about the location and what that location would mean for all of humanity. It will be provided. It's a prophetic glimpse into the salvation of all mankind or in the language of the Old Testament, the blessing of all nations. And it teaches us, this story teaches us about the nature of the gospel message. It's the gospel. This is about God's character, guys. It's a character lesson for Abraham and for us. See, Abraham existed in a world where the blessing from gods, if you were gonna get blessed by the gods of a land, It required the sacrificing of some kind of animal and oftentimes the sacrificing of children. Baal, this common Mesopotamian god that Abraham would have been familiar with, required child sacrifice. 
So you have to imagine that Abraham is thinking, oh, I guess Yahweh is just like the rest of the gods. Okay. But here's the thing. He's actually the opposite. And here's what Abraham learns. He, God, Yahweh, can be trusted to promote life so much so that God will provide the sacrifice so that we can live. It's the gospel right there. In Genesis chapter 22, God gives his son so that we don't lose ours. Isn't that amazing? And all he asks for is our trust and obedience. He's like, I'll go and die so that you won't be destroyed. I'll go up and carry the wood so that you don't have to. It's the gospel. That's the energy. That's the secret power. If you're wondering, you're faced with your test, how do you pass it? God didn't withhold it from me. <laughs> he, didn't, he even went through death for me. And he's not asking that for me. How do we do this? How do we pass the test? Lastly, how to pass the test. Two how-tos. Uh, the simple word for passing the test is surrender. I've mentioned this a couple times already, but it's surrender. And because this is the first mention of worship in the Bible, here is what we can surmise about what worship is. It isn't singing, although it can be. It isn't uh, building an altar and sacrificing some kind of animal on it, although it can be. All surrender is this. All, sorry, there you go. What is worship? It's surrender. Whatever. All surrender is this. Do I trust God to provide for me, or do I get more the more that I grip in life? That's worship. Do I trust God to provide for me, or do I think that I'm going to get more the more that I hold on to? You pass the test. How do you pass it? You pass the test by saying, I love you, God, even if you don't do the thing that I want you to do in my life. That is what it means to be in relationship with him. I love you even if you don't do the thing that I want you to do. And with that posture, we pass the test. Secondly, I think what helps us to surrender, if we're gonna surrender like Abraham did, we need to realize that even what we grip in life will eventually be taken from us. Even what you hold on to will eventually be taken from us. We have to recognize our mortality and recognize the transience of things in life. I remember when I first realized that I wasn't gonna live forever, you have this as a kid. You, you, you really can't even have a concept of death. And, and so I remember the first time in my life that I realized I'm not going to live forever. I was 18 years old, and I was at my high school senior trip right before graduation. And I remember thinking about how fun this era was. My last year in high school was so fun. And I was looking around at this room full of all of my friends that I'd made over the past four years. And I remember thinking, wow, this era is coming to a close. I'm not going to be around these people forever. And I was so sad. It was like this realization of time is an immovable force. You can't stop it. You can't try to hold on to it. You can't pause it or freeze it or go back. And I had just at 18 realized that. Oh my gosh. Now, this sense only increased when I turned 30. I don't know why, but when I turned 30, uh, I had another moment of realizing that I could actually, I could calculate what a decade felt like. And then I could kind of number out my average life expectancy of what I could expect. You're like, this guy's messed up. I was like, okay, that like 20 to 30, that's what a decade feels like. Oh, wow, that's going to go by really, really fast. That's going to go by so fast. See, 
kids or, or young people, you're like, you're like here tonight, you're like 20, you're like, what is wrong with this dude? See, you think you're gonna live forever, but you're not. <laughs> you, you, you think you're gonna, you're gonna be young forever, but your body will eventually begin sending you signals that time is, is taking its toll on you. <laughs> it, it happens. I mean, you're like, you young buck, what are you talking about? Listen, I like every morning wake up and I'm just sore. Everything's sore. I don't know what's happening. I'm like aging faster than I should or something. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but you just realize as you age, you realize how small, how short life is and then how small of a role uh, you actually get in this grand story of what God is doing. And, and, and so you, you realize like you don't get a choice to surrender some things. Some of those things are just taken from you. Some of the people you hold dear, they, they die before they should. So some of the, the things in your life financially just go wrong, even when you did everything right. There's just things that happen, and, and life just has a way of just kind of taking those things before you even get a chance to, to surrender them over. And what happens is you get disillusioned. That's disillusionment. You're disillusioned because the things that you put your hope and joy in are gone. And, and, and this is the beauty of disillusionment as you get to this point. You wonder if all of the effort you put into trying to keep and maintain the things in your life would have been better spent on something more lasting. That's such a beautiful place to get to. You're like, oh, I want my life to actually be weighty. I want it to matter, to not be spent trying to hold on to and keep all these things that are passing and fading. Psalm 90, uh, verse 12, David was thinking about this. He said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days, to know our end, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It is the person who understands the brevity of life that can really live with skill and pass the tests that come. When the test comes, you go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to surrender this anyways. Have it all. It's wisdom. I recently, um, one, of my, uh, one of my mom's uh, very close friends just passed away um, too young. She had a... Uh, cancer, and, and uh, we went to her memorial service a week ago, and you just looked at, like, a life that mattered. You're like, this woman, she was a kingdom woman. Like, she didn't waste her time trying to preserve things that were passing. Like, she put her energy and her focus into kingdom stuff, and you had a room of, like, 500 people show up and go, like, her life mattered. I'm different because of her. So, so sad and so profound at the same time. And I just sat there crying, just going like, I want my life to matter. I came home and I was like, I like grabbed my wife and my child and just said like, I want to pour our lives into things that actually count. <laughs> to not try to build our own personal kingdom. But like, like hear me on this. Uh, there is earthly wisdom that looks wise, but is actually disobedience. They're like, is it wise to save your money? Yeah, that is extremely wise. And some of you young people, you gotta hear this, this is really wise. But it is unwise to create an idol out of saving money. And to not actually open your hands and say, God, what you've given me is actually yours. And I won't, hold on to this with, a tight, with tight fists, but instead, I will value obedience over earthly wisdom. It's 
how we pass the test. I think what I'm getting at tonight is connected to Jacob's message last Sunday. If you didn't listen to it, go back to the podcast and listen to it. Keeping eternity in mind helps us to live better in the present. So keep it in mind. Surrender comes when you recognize your mortality and you make a decision about what will save you. It's not what's in your grip, it's him. So just, I'm back to him again. Back to him again. So saying, so let's be Abraham and Sarah's. That's my charge to us. Let's be Abraham and Sarah's. We have the ability through our choices today to bless the next generation. You know, Isaac, you think about this, like Isaac, he had the ability to not go through with this as well. You think about it, he's big enough and strong enough to carry a bunch of firewood on his back up a mountain to hike for three days. His, Abraham at this point is 115 years old. He could take him. He totally could take him. So what is he doing? He's cooperating. Why? Do you see the significance? In going to the cross, carrying the same pile of wood on the very same mountain with his father, Jesus worked alongside his father to provide for the whole world. It was partnership. Jesus is the example for what it means to be a disciple. He's the best disciple. And it means that we, when we're faced with a test, we can go up our own mountain with our own father and trust that if we give him all of our trust, it will be provided. So let's be those people. Let's stand up together this evening. I know that's like such an intense message and I don't wanna miss this moment because I think that he's, I don't want you to walk out those doors and begin to rationalize holding things back from him. I don't want it in my life either. So here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to just put your hands in front of you. It's just a beautiful symbol of God. Okay, what I have is yours physically. Just imagine the things that you treasure. Imagine the things that you care about, that you value. Just put those in front of you in your mind's eye and just say, God, let's talk. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to us right now. And um, man, we just say we trust you again. We just say that we trust you. And those places in our hearts, God, where we don't, for me, God, that's with money. I don't trust you with money sometimes. If it's with people, if it's with the, the things that we treasure, God, we just come and we say, would you speak to those places in our hearts, to those things in our lives that we don't trust you with? And just open your mind and your heart up to him. I don't know, you know what your uh, week has been like, what your year has been like, what's on your mind right now, but he does, and he wants to have a conversation with you. We'll just take a moment. We're not in a, in a hurry or a rush. We just see that it's the, your intent is blessing. <laughs> That's your intent. That's the whole point of this story is your intent is blessing. You want to bless us so that we'd be a blessing to all nations and uh, to all of Newburgh. I just, I keep having it run through my mind today, guys. Just can you imagine the, the spiritual climate change that takes place in this town if there was a, a, a bunch of a couple hundred Christians who said, all that I have is yours. Full surrender. All that I have is yours. Don't, I don't love my life so much as to shrink from death. All that I have is yours. Can you imagine what that does? the kind of blessing that can be poured out on this place. 
So I don't know where the conversation has taken you, but pick it up in just a moment. Go ahead and put your hand over your heart and just repeat after me. Just say, God, I trust you again. God, strengthen me to give you everything. Remind me of what you've done in the past. Show me what you intend to do in the future. You can have it all. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church. And the yoke is so much easier